It's time for the 30A Local Show. I guarantee Bobby didn't do any prep for this. (laughs) I'm a small talker. What locals love. Public access bathroom. Where locals eat. Got any biscuits for sale in there? And other things you should know about 30A. Presented by 30A Local Properties. I'm Johnny Colt, and I'm a member of the band Leonard Skinner, perhaps you've heard of us, here on 30A Radio. Hey now. I'm really not going to talk like that. I don't care if you do. <laughs> Big stern fanatic. Uh, hey now. Hey now. Everything? What I want you to know is I got my 30A app out. <laughs> That's awesome. It's right here. I'm ready. You're ready to Ask go. Ask me any 30A question. I have the app. I can take me two seconds to answer. <laughs> the questions aren't on there. We're at Seaside, Florida at uh, Central Square Records. I've got one of the members of Leonard Skinner with me. Johnny Cold is here in Seaside. How are you? I'm good, sir. How are you? I'm great. Uh, so let's just uh, talk about 30A in general. You live here? I do live here. We won't give the address or anything, but uh, you've been known to be walking around. And this is, you, you call this your home, right? I'm. It is my home. I've been coming here for almost 20 years. Finally made the move. You can catch me anytime. Feel free to come say hello to me. Go to Blue Mountain Beach. Right. And I'm the kook falling off the paddle surfboard, the surfboard, anything. Any water-related thing, I'm the guy out there not doing it very well. So you're one of the guys that's at Blue Mountain that stares at the waves and says, is it time or is it not time? No, no. I'm the guy who goes in no matter what, and the guys who have experience have to say, hey, you can't really surf in that. Right. Or, you know, I'm the guy out there with no waves just paddling the surfboard around because right. it's all still so new to me. You got friends that go paddle with you? I have a number of friends. Um, I go out there alone. Yeah. Or I'm out there with the Hungry Board guys. Okay, Joe cool. over there at Hungry Board and Kevin. Uh, and my very good friend, Gabriel, who, Gabriel Gray, who owns Walk on Water Paddles over here in Carillon, he actually got me into paddle boarding. But I've been waiting many, many years to come here to become a water man. Right. Can that That's happen? Probably a, I don't, can that happen this late in life? I don't know. I mean, do you go in your 40s to become a waterman? I'm going to find out. Okay, that's great. So Blue Mountain Beach is your uh, territory. Is that is that a very territorial paddleboarding area? Is there any like... No, there's nothing. Everything here is friendly. Like, yeah. I surf sometimes on the West Coast. It's like you can get in a fist fight on the beach there if you're not a local. It's a, everyone here has been super nice to me, you know, no matter how kooky I am out there. Uh, I love kooks man i gotta come hang out with you and paddle out there that'd be a pair right there anybody anytime man listen i'm telling you you are welcome to come hang out with me at blue mountain just when i'm paddle boarding you better watch that shore break because my board may come flying at you in any direction that's just the reality of where i'm at in it they call that a yard sale is that what they call it no no that's a new term stuff everywhere yeah yeah, totally (laughs) that's funny all right so let's talk a little bit of music uh johnny colt uh now with Leonard Skinner, I'd like to go backwards. Here's the deal. Yeah. I'm happy to talk about music all day. Yeah. But we got to make sure that we cover the winter solstice run for the Amavita people. Uh, that's the only reason I'm doing this, really. Yeah, I that, got you. No, I'm with you. I just want to make sure we get that. Absolutely. Uh, Casey would. I don't chase want Casey. Yeah. First off, Casey's. All, I've never met her. It's weird. You know what's weird is that Casey is my longest running online relationship of a person in the same town that I've never met. Okay. Isn't that funny how Facebook It's just weird. Like, I'm works? afraid yeah. to meet her now because it'll be awkward. I mean, you know, when you do that much texting and emailing and you've never <laughs> actually met the person and you meet them and it's weird and you're like. She'll run by here about 10 times during the interview. She did those seven marathons in seven oh, days. Oh, listen, she's, that's why she's I'm hardcore. running. Her. That's why her running those marathons inspired me to even try an ultra. Right. Um, she's the reason I'm running the winter solstice race. I mean, the cause. Uh, I have a connection to, and we can talk about that. Sure. And that, that's it. But really, it was her uh, that inspired me. And then, actually, there was a Blue Mountain Marathon. I had no idea it was happening because I'm still new. 
I'd flown in from a Skinner show. I woke up in the morning, went out for my morning run uh, on the path, and there's a marathon going on, and I was upset because I could have joined it. But it turns out that Casey ran past me right? because she knows what, who I am visually. She ran past me finishing her marathon. That's cool. And she didn't stop to say hello. <laughs> it was the last mile of her marathon. It's all about the time. I guess. <laughs> it's all about the time. I felt a little insulted. That's right. She so could have waved. She could have said, I'm Casey. Casey. She's fast, and she's probably at Amavita right now, so you, you probably drop in on her today. Can I go ahead and plug? Uh, I'm going to answer all of your questions. Can I plug? Central Square is my favorite record store. It is. At, anywhere. It is. It's absolutely. Ed, uh, the fact that the owner is standing over my shoulder has no influence. <laughs> no, you know what? Seriously, hold on. You know what? I When the Black Crow's first record came out, Shake Your Moneymaker, actually came out on vinyl. Yeah. And, you know... Record stores like the Underground and other independent record stores at the time, they mattered to us because we were still... like People had CDs, but in the Crows, we actually listened to vinyl by choice yeah. at a time when it wasn't necessarily that cool to do that. And the thing about Central Square for me is it embodies the spirit uh, uh, that I entered sort of the professional music world with. It embodies that. And it embraces the future at the same time. So this is like a, a timeless feeling to me about music. And when I come in here, it reminds me, as a guy who's super jaded after playing in multiple large bands in the major label business, mm-hmm. I'm so jaded. I'm, I hate to admit it, but I, I've, my, as my son is now playing music, I've begun to realize how jaded I am about it. When I walk in Central Square, it's like a shot in the arm. Like It reminds me, not only do I love music, but to be cool with my 11-year-old son who's playing and when he wants to ask me questions about bands and it gets on my nerves to be cool to him, too. Yeah, I'm just saying what parents don't admit. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? When your kid's like, Dad, who played drums for The Who in 19, you know, or who played keyboards? He asked me one day, who played the flute on some song by Jethro Tull? And I'm like, first off, A, how do you know who Jethro Tull is? We don't have their records. Right. Number two, flute and rock and roll didn't work so well. The best flute in rock and roll is Will Ferrell making fun of it. <laughs> And two, you're asking me questions that only actually nerds ask. Like when we rocked, we didn't ask those questions. But 30A is a place, I'm sorry, Central Square is a place where my son's musical nerdiness and my, I don't know what you call what I am, we can come together here. That's so cool. That is way more of an answer than anybody wants. But No, it's the right answer, too. It really is the merger between being 47 and having retired from the music business twice and not being able to get out and feeling like you're in the mob. And an 11-year-old who... It's all magic to him. And I'm doing my best just to stay out of his way, yeah. his love for it. Yeah. What's his... Uh, uh, but I'm not... I mean, it makes me sound like super grumpy. I'm just trying to be self-aware and own it. That's all. You know what's what I mean? his vinyl collection look like? Well, you, <laughs> you wouldn't know better than I do <laughs> because he spends more time talking music with these guys than he, do, than he does with me. Right. I come up. It's looking great. He came in and, and paid uh, $29 for uh, um, Nirvana. Never nice. mind. Nice. It's a good deal. It is kind of cool, though, I can say to my kid, like, oh, yeah, we did the MTV Music Awards with Nirvana and hung out with them. And then after uh, Kurt passed, which is sad no mm-hmm. matter how you slice it, Dave Grohl spent two, a whole entire week with a tour bus following us in the Crows, sitting on the side of the stage every night. He's a very nice guy. Yeah. And I couldn't be more excited for what happens with him, even though I'm not particularly listening to those records. My son listens to them to the point where I want to punch myself in the face. But that's cool. That's, that's cool. where I'm at. <laughs> This is a free-flowing interview. That's awesome. So, All right. <laughs> that's cool. I really don't have any, like, I'm here to deliver questions. the goods. I'm just trying to deliver yeah, the goods. You know I, what I mean? I'll, like, you, you want to you talk about it? Let's let's talk about it. I do. This I is just, what it's really like. All right. Black Crows. 
let's let's talk about the crows a little bit okay uh, that's uh that was a, a big deal for me I, I had every one of those albums going through college and uh either cried to them with uh you know breakups or uh jammed out to sure. them with a bottle of whiskey sure so uh i did both those things as well <laughs> so how, how how was that i mean that that, that was a good how Southern was band. that i hey, mean yeah how was that okay that's a, that's i got it i got a broad question it's a broad question i'll give you a really succinct answer <laughs> It's about four of the is the four most amazing years of your life. Yeah. Followed by almost six very painful years of watching uh, business, drug addictions, uh, divided agendas, uh, predatory managers, and everything. Just literally, just performing a live autopsy on what you love the most. Yeah. But the four years that were amazing, they still stand up by themselves. I mean, they cast a long shadow. But it's a good shadow, and I'm really proud of that. So, look, the fact that in my lifetime I was able to be even involved with a record like Southern Harmony, that's enough right there. I mean, if, I, if, my, if that would have been it, my career was over after Southern Harmony, I'd have been okay. Drop the microphone and walk away, right? Yeah, if yeah, I, I had mean, to, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I, I kind of did. You know, yeah. I walked away from the band, and those guys kept going. I feel really great about the work that I did and when I and, and, and when I left and why I left. And I and time has for me, time has uh, confirmed that decision for me personally as a musician. Yeah, I guess that was the, the fanboy question. How was that? Because that that was a integral I mean, part like of I my C D collection. Yeah. You know, I mean it's like uh, and then and then I, I I found out something about you. Uh, you kind of dappled in uh, some uh, combat photography. Did you? Is this correct? What that would yeah that would be co- that, what you would call that is conflict journalism. Conflict journalism. I like that. So uh, again, succinct. Yeah. You know, you start playing music. I started wanting to play music like when I'm my son's age. Like you're you're not even like you're prepubescent, right? And as puberty comes on, maybe you look at pictures of, I don't know, whoever you think is, like, super cool and dark, like Jimmy Page or Jimi Hendrix, because, I mean, Hendrix was everything to me, and Page, and, you know, the classics, Joe Perry, you know, I was attracted to the sound, the, the, the look, the darkness, the transcendentalness of it. It wasn't so much the ladies and stuff. I wasn't old enough for that. It was the sound that moved me, and, the, and then the visual that went with it was, like, uh, it was like visiting Mars or some some shit. You know what I mean? It was just like a whole transcendental kind of experience. Yeah. As an adult, I felt the same. Um, I felt the same impact on who I was when I saw a photographer named James Noctway, and he is a Stone Cold War photographer, and his work just hit me at more of an adult level than, but the same way music hit me. Um, but he's this never speaks to anybody, doesn't have a family, married to his work. Like he's, he's like a Buddha with a camera, right? And he's able to absorb the worst of humanity and present it to us in a way that brings it all home. I'm like a loud ADD. I irritate myself. You know what I mean? Like I, sometimes I'm like, man, I got to be driving these people crazy. I can't shut up kind of guy. And I, I secretly wanted to, do what James did but I just wasn't I just didn't think I was that kind of person jump forward a number of bands I did a TV show with Tommy Lee and Ludacris I had my own show go to pilot episode that aired on Travel Channel and then it was cancelled I was playing in the band Train at that time my show was cancelled the singer was doing a solo record Pat Monahan's a guy I have infinite respect for his vocal ability and his work ethic Guy's from Pennsylvania. He works his ass off. But at the time, 
He'd gone through a divorce. He was getting married. He wanted to make solo records. He changed the direction of the band. It wasn't necessarily my first choice musically Mm -hmm. when I started. So when things began to turn into a movie that I had seen before, uh, and I and we all go through those things. So I'm not dunking the guy underwater. It's just it's bands go through phases. I had seen that phase in the Crows and wasn't going there again. I retired, uh, and then the oil spill happened, which mm-hmm. ties us into this beach. Um, when the oil spill happened, I had learned television through my television. Look, when you're the only guy who's sober on a TV show with Tommy Lee and Ludacris, and you're on, you have you're on reality TV, and there's two cameramen on you all day long, every day. It's one of those things where, you know, I have nothing to do but learn, right? So by the time we're done with the show, I actually know how to show run a TV show. I've learned how all the cameras work. I've learned what the producers do. I, it's all day long, sober, and everyone's out of their mind. So yeah. I'd kind of learned how television works. The oil spill happens. I watch it closely for about a month. By the time our military is flying sorties over the beaches, dropping Corexit, a chemical that we don't know what it is, and they're, our military is working on behalf of a foreign company, at that point, the tail was wagging the dog. I just had enough. I had time on my hands. I called a buddy who's a great shooter editor. We went to Grand Isle, Louisiana, and drove straight down to the beach, jumped out of the car with the cameras, and confronted the first BP person we saw. I had no idea how to do journalism, so I just started attacking everyone. Um, That ended up in us getting a a bona fide journalism scoop when a guy, Daryl Carpenter, who lives here not far away, and a guy they called the Hay Man, took a boat because it was illegal to get in the water. They took a boat with all these different materials like hay to try to experiment with cleaning up. I was on that boat with our camera crew, filmed it. It went to CNN. We edited it. It went to CNN. I stood on the beaches here doing the stand-ups. They were shocked that I could pull that off. Right. But I had gone to media training for the TV shows. You know what I mean? So I'm up there doing the whole, hey, this is Johnny Cole. I'm standing here you know, doing that whole thing. And they were like, wow, why don't you come to work? And the short version was, why don't you come to work for us? At the time, I didn't want to be a talking head, so I funded myself for the next two years, and I went to whatever conflict zone popped up all over the world, filming and doing journalism on my own dime with no one telling me what to do. So the, I went to the Kyrgyz uzbek War, embedded with the Spetsnaz unit, went to the front, came back, Haiti, cholera outbreak, tsunami, Nauru, and after a few years of that, on my own dime, getting it ready, and I was proud of the work, CNN then hired me under terms that I was comfortable with. Wow. I went to, to work for CNN. I finally got the deal I wanted. I was doing my first story, which was a I had Chase Manhattan on a predatory lending case. I was struggling with the legal department at CNN because Chase Manhattan is a very large company. No, no, they're not, are they? Yeah. They're big. Yeah, they spent a lot of advertising dollars. They put a lot of those cards in the mail. No, no kidding, them. yeah. But I had to go through the legal department. This is so. This is terrible radio right now. That's okay. It's slowing down, and it's not interesting at all. That's okay. i got to revert to my Howard Stern rules. So listen, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I got tied up in the legal department. I was struggling, and I was starting to see the underbelly of the news business. And I was ready to fight. 
and then Gary Rosington called me. And I was so pissed off, I threw my laptop across the room. Because when Gary Rosington calls you from Leonard Skinner, for those who don't know who he is, and you're me, you just don't say no. Yeah. I had spent years trying to get to the position I was in in journalism, and then F and Gary calls me. My wife's like laughing because she's like, oh. So my guitars had been put up for three years. She's probably cheering, too, to get you out of that. Uh, she was very life. happy that no one was shooting at me. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I went, to my cl- I went to my storage space and dusted off the instruments. I mean, they had been sitting for almost three years. I hadn't touched them. And then I had to go learn Skinner music, which is actually surprisingly complicated the way it's played uh, and very nuanced. And so, anyways, that was it. I'm in Skinner. That's awesome. Gary called and said, hey, dude, we need to talk. And I was like, hold on a second. Out of respect to him, where are you? Well, I'm in Nashville. I had to call my producer and say, I need an extra day on the story. And they're like, you don't have an extra day. And I'm saying, there's nothing I can do. I got in my truck, put all the Skinner records in my CD player, and drove all the way up there trying to figure out how I was going to tell Gary no. Walked into the studio, saw Gary, his wife Dale, and Ricky Medlock. We spent two hours hanging out, and I drove all the way home. Same day. Drove all the way home trying to tell CNN how I was going to quit. <laughs> I spent the first half, I'm not joining Skinner. The second half, I got to leave CNN. <laughs> right. That's crazy. And so, then I've, I've been touring with them. And then I came down here to vacation like I've been doing for 20 years. Basically, we've been coming here forever. We love it. Yeah. And I met this awesome gentleman named Keith Flippo. Keith Flippo and I, Flippo and I I'm having coffee. He's having a mimosa. And if you know Keith, he's mostly having a mimosa, right? Right. You can see Keith walking his dog with a mimosa. So he's having a mimosa. I'm having coffee. We have a very brief conversation, and this is why he's such a good realtor. I said, there's no private school here cause for my kids. And he's like, oh, you've never seen Ohana. Oh, I'll get, he makes a phone call. We get a tour. We walk through the school. Literally, six weeks later, I purchase a house. Uh, and Keith found us. Exa- I mean, Keith just took great care of us. But that's what Keith Flippo's like. Be careful. Yeah. Because when you go near him, you buy stuff. Yeah. And now I live here, and I have the highest quality of life exponentially over any other period in, in my entire existence. How I often- mean, there's days where I get up, and I'm like, still. Like, I'm kind of having it right now. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> right. You're like, I'm here. I'm going to talk to this good. guy. I'm going to hang out at the record store. And I'm going to paddleboard. That's good. As soon as I get out of here. Yeah. So do you walk by, uh, like, when you first got in the band, did you, like, walk by the mirror and kind of have that moment where you're like, I'm in Leonard Skinner now? (laughs) Not like that, but I'll tell you what I did do. The first time I walked on stage to play the songs, look, we're in rehearsal. I didn't have much rehearsal. Yeah. And I was rusty. I Actually, I was so rusty, had so much music to learn in such little time that I went and got a cabin in the mountains and took my family up with another family so that I didn't have to pay attention to kids. I said, hey, everybody, i got to work. So I, I got a room off the side, and all I did was learn the Skinner catalog mm-hmm. all day and all night where people leave me alone. So basically, I get back. Everything, we're good to go. I walk on stage. What I wasn't prepared for was the amount of, mo- of emotions in the song, that the, the, how supercharged the emotional content of the material is. Let me try to be articulate here. With the audience. Right. So we're playing, and we start Simple Man, which is a song that meant a lot to me when I was eight years old. What he's singing about, that all, it was important to me. All of a sudden, everyone's holding up phones, and it's 
all soldiers, not all of them, but many of them are military people, but a lot of them are soldiers at the time who mm. have passed away. And the audience is crying. And I'm playing, and I'm looking down. And then the bass player, who I replaced in Skinner, his widow is in front of me. And I don't really know her well. I met her that day. I talk about add pressure to a show. I've never played a show with him. Everyone's crying. Tears are like literally popping. At, she's crying so hard. And all of a sudden I realize I'm not playing. We're in the middle of the song and I've quit playing because I'm stunned by what's happening. And then I realize it's my vision's going blurry because I'm starting to cry. Now I look down and can't see the instrument. So now I'm not even playing. Now this is in just a second or two seconds of me not playing. It's like the band are starting to look at me, which that's not what a bass player is supposed to do. You're, you're in the engine room. Don't be messing around. Right. And Johnny Van Zant walks over to me. This is, this is how great the Skinner guys are. Next thing I know, I feel Johnny's I'm, – I'm touching, I'm touching my interviewer. Johnny right. touches my shoulder, and it's so comforting. And I look o- – I'm still not playing. I look over at him, and he just smiles at me like, welcome to Skinner, dude. And then I, I had to wipe my eyes and started playing, and, and it got worse. By the time you get to Freebird – it's all just so loaded with Skinner. People's lives, if they've, they've look, this is, look, I know something. From being in the Crows and growing up and staying in Atlanta, I'm the only black crow who stayed in Atlanta. Everybody mm. else went west. Now, I'm not going to call people traitors, but I'm a southerner. Right. Our town didn't really appreciate us because we're from that town. It's a weird thing. Well, this is Florida. Not everybody here appreciates what Skinner is. If you traveled with us and saw what the rest of the world thinks, you might be surprised. But those songs, the content, there are people all over the world who have injected so much of their life or experienced so many important things with that music that when you get in front of that audience, it's, it's a little bit, it can be mu- a little much. It's like a, it's like a flamethrower sometimes. That's been the biggest adjustment. Those wow. are the moments where you go, I'm in Skinner, and when you look up at the backdrop and there's Ronnie and Leon's names and you realize not only were they the, obviously, unfortunately, the victims of the original plane crash, mm-hmm. but also... There have been nine people who have joined the band and passed away over the years. I mean, you, you know, if it wasn't so morbid, it's like a spinal tap thing. It's kind of where the spinal tap thing comes from. I'm serious, you know. Yeah. And you, we have to make light of it because it's very heavy in the band. There's like a cloud. But it's all about legacy. It's all about moving forward. It's all about presenting the best version of those songs as possible. I'll stop so you can ask a question. Man, that's so awesome. I just had two two simple questions about uh, being in Skinner. Uh, you can't skip Sweet Home Alabama at a concert, can you? Impossible. <laughs> that's like that's skipping. That would be like skipping the national anthem before sports for most people. Well said. That's that. That was that was kind no, of no. I mean, yeah. no, I'm basing that on what I see in front of me. Yeah, that's probably those three songs, right? I love your hair. Very cute. <laughs> it's probably simple. Simple man. Free bird and uh, that's those are that's are it. You ki- no, I mean, hold and, on. You got, you, you I mean, there's play, so, so many yeah, others, but you can't not play three steps. Sure, I just listen to it. <laughs> right? Smell is a thank you. Smell is a standard. Saturday night special. People yeah. get pissed off if you don't. But the problem is getting the songs into the set. Yeah, because everybody has songs they want to hear. Lots of people are like, "Where's Down South Juke?" And I can't. You know, that wasn't even on one of the main records, right? And then, especially when you get the, you got that right. By the way, you want to go play you got, for the musicians in the audience, go play you got that right. Don't just play it what you think it is. Actually sit down and figure out how it really goes. And then imagine, break out each individual part, and then try to imagine getting all that going at the same time. 
It's interesting. It is. Sweet Home of Alabama is probably the number one uh, wedding song in a state of Alabama, I would imagine. So Listen, uh, you, you go to Europe and people, I mean, it's, the, it's, it's tran- again, it's, it, tra- it transcends culture. Let's look, l- <laughs> in Europe, it stands for, look, Skinner, those of us living in the South who consider ourselves progressive and are trying to help drive the new South may or may not completely lock in, may or may not lock in with what we think Skinner's about. But what I can tell you is Skinner, if you will, is a brand. I hate to use that language around music, but but it's a reality. It travels overseas as individualism, yeah, as independence, as what this country was founded on, like individual, like even the idea of states' rights. I'm not going to go political on you, but the idea that we're that community is is serves itself, and the individuals have a right to come together as a collective community. And if you don't like what this group does, you you leave and go to another. That sort of ultra-independence that the country was started on, that, that translates in Europe where politics are very different. And you'll find from Greece to Poland that Skinner stands for independence. And the whole flag debate shows up in Europe, but generally for those people it really does mean sort of rebellion like I'm going to stand for my own in countries that are socialist and so forth. Down here... You know, as you know, I'll, I'll touch the subject because it's so hot. But years ago, uh, you know, Alabama is where the flag was represented, and 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 the band decided to move to the Alabama state flag with the song as a better representation of where things are now. And Gary's official stance on the subject is: Hey, regardless of what that flag, it's the battle flag, not the not the CSA flag, but whatever that flag represented to us at any point that may have been positive, it's been co-opted by too many negative groups. So he took it to the Alabama flag, which I thought was a great decision on his part. So there's some controversy for the interview. That's better radio right right there. A little hotter. A little hotter radio. That's the headline. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right, Johnny Cole, Leonard Skinner is here with us. Let's talk about the winter solstice run. Uh, uh, Thank you to Casey uh, for setting this interview up. And you're running it this year. So... Uh, let me tell you about this. Try not to bore the tears out of you and, and tell you what's happening. Number one, Casey runs, if I'm not mistaken, seven marathons in seven days in the Congo. Yep. Okay. Seven marathons in seven days. Hard to do. Do it in the Congo. That's 26 where, miles a day. Yeah, 26 <laughs> miles a day. Do it in the Congo where, you know, you're trying to make sure you got clean water, you, you know, your support network sure. for a runner may not be there. That's a lot of recovery each day. I have so much respect for that that I became interested in the winter solstice race because secretly in my own life, I was interested in the idea of doing an ultramarathon, even though I don't like running. It hurts my knees and stuff. And I recently started running barefoot, which I enjoy, but I'm still barely in my double digits. I got no business thinking about ultra. But that's just kind of how I do things anyway. So then I looked into it closely, and there's an organization called On the Ground, mm-hmm. and they're working for uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, specifically what's happening is this. We're all out there running 40 miles to try to help raise money to support On the Ground and their operations in the Democratic Republic of Congo, mainly gender equality. Uh, microloan programs supporting communities there. It's connected to coffee because Amavita is sponsoring the race, uh, and I love that Amavita is is putting so much back into 
their global community mm-hmm. as a coffee supplier. They're connected. That's a global connection there. There you go. That's awesome, man. And uh, you can watch for all the information on that run. Uh, Alma Vita, their Facebook page is going to have the most information on it. So You're probably thinking right now, why do I care about the Democratic Republic of Congo? I'd like seriously. to know that. No, seriously. Like like, like, there's a yeah. lot of things to give your money to. Why yeah. are we doing this? Here's what we know. And I'm no expert, but I'll tell you what I do know. In a society where the genders are more equal, the society does better as a whole, financially, uh, domestically. That's a general rule. What we do see in the news is that societies that tend to have the barbarism, there's a severe difference in the gender equality. They're not equal. Genders are severely off. I want this to be productive for Amavita and the race, so I'll leave out, I won't say any country names, but when you're watching the worst version of the world, people are being subjugated by another group. Women are not only second-class citizens, they're victims. Mm -hmm. Democratic Republic of Congo is just that. It's a democratic republic in the center of the Congo, which you know has many warlords and is, is always in danger of being influenced in a negative way. And I say negative, not being politics, but human rights way. Now, in my years of being a journalist, I was invited by the Carter Center, by Phil Weiss at the Carter Center, to be an election observer in the Democratic Republic of Congo. I was very excited about this because I felt like it could be of purpose. And even though I had a journalism career, I was still new. It took another journalist to say to me, you can't go as an election observer and a journalist. That equals spy. And that's how you get snatched. So unfortunately, based on that, I, I ended up not going down as an election observer. And I was very upset that I didn't get to experience the Congo underneath my journalism tenure, which ended out of my control, really, sort of. And I'd also read the history of the Congo, the rubber plantations, all, every, the rape of the Congo, cutting off of the hands historically, you know, what the Belgium government did. Uh, and you wouldn't call them the Belgian government. What would you call them? There's a plural name for the Belgian government. The Belgianese. Belgish. <laughs> That's not even That's right. Not but no. <laughs> uh, try not to sound like an idiot on um, on Amavita's dime. So yeah. I ha- the Congo has a fascinating history. I was excited to get down there. So I didn't get to go. It's one of my things that I really regret about my journalism tenure. But when I saw the race, Casey inspired me. I saw the cause. I knew that trying to run any real distance is a super challenge to me, but I figured if I pushed myself to run, that would be, with the energy and the intent of it, would be respect toward what those people go, what the women go through in the Congo, uh, and on the ground as a solid organization. I can actually get into a long conversation about non-governmental organizations, how effective they are. Some are good, some are not as good as you'd think. But the on-the-ground organization is effective, and that's what matters most. Man, I was in for it today, man. You, okay. you got a lot to say. I appreciate it, Johnny. That's so awesome that uh, you're participating and supporting the cause with Casey. Uh, do appreciate that, and we appreciate everything that Dan with uh, Almavita does for the area. And Can uh, I tell you something about the beauty of, of 38 that's not good? So I'm running on a schedule, and I'm talking to Casey, and I run barefoot, as I said. So it was time for me to move up my miles. Well... I went on a really long run the night there was the blood moon. Oh, yeah. And it was so beautiful. I just kept running. And I just kept running. And I just kept running. And I was, like, running way past my miles. But I thought, okay, well, if you're getting ready for 40, you might as well run, right? Next day, I woke up. I couldn't walk. Had to go over to Doc Smiley. 
which is like an emergency care here, but JT the doctor there. By the way, JT the doctor is incredible. Okay, this guy is a great guy. I paddle surf with him, but he even makes house calls when your kids are running races and they have injuries. Incredible people. They're both from Colorado. This is what I love about this place. You go to the doctor. It's an emergency care unit. Next thing you know, they're stopping by your house to make sure you're okay. That only happens here. It's crazy. Yeah. So JT takes one look at me, and he's like, you've injured the two tendons in your left big toe and middle toe. So here's what's happened. I signed up for my ultra. I've injured myself in training. I've already raised a few thousand dollars, planning to start raising more. Hopefully this will help. Donate to anybody running the race. You just go to razoo.com, R-A-Z-O-O.com. Winter solstice, punch it in. You'll get all the information you need. So now, in response to the injury, I'm still training around the injury, but I put together a relay team. That means four people run 10 miles apiece. Because I want to make sure it's I can achieve something that, solid, and I owe all the people who are donating money a real attempt. So what's going to happen is this. I'm the first runner on my relay team. Then the relay team will take off. I'll hand the baton, and the next guy goes. But I'm going to keep going. Nice. Parallel to the – and just see how far I can get without damaging my foot. Sounds like fun. Yeah. It doesn't sound like fun at all if you think about it. You know, around mile eight, you're like, why am I doing this? And if you go past ten, it's like, I can be done because the relay team's taking over. I should quit here. It's a real mental thing. So are you even going to have a uh, pedometer or uh, anything Oh, tracking? yeah. Oh, listen, I gotta, I'm going to put together an entire team. Yeah. I think I'm going to get the wife and the minivan with the hydration stuff, speakers. My son can <laughs> DJ while I – you know what I'm nice. saying? Like, I'm going to get a whole, like – Floyd Mayweather chase car scene going, and I'm going to brand myself. I like it. I'm going to sell some sponsorships. Not sell it, but donate it can back. I get, to can I get a 30A sticker for my shirt? I'm, I'm in. We'll make Central that Square, can I put a sticker on my running vest? That's so awesome, man. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's my prediction. Here's my race prediction. It starts like at the crack of dawn. Yeah. And you go, you go out and back. Over 38, because it's like a 20, 38 is like 20 miles. I mean, you know, right around that. Like, yeah. right, okay, Casey knows all this. Out and back, basically. I, they're going to, like, it starts at the crack of dawn, and then I think the celebration, everybody's done, and they go, yay, we're awesome for raising money and running, happens at sunset. All right. Here's my prediction. You will see me being followed by a, uh, a minivan and my buddy JT's Jeep with the headlights so I can see. And the music blaring come, coming in around 1 a.m. And it's going to be very dramatic. I might fall a few times. I might even crawl. Just have somebody go across the street with a, you know, the ticker tape and act like you broke through That's first. That's what I'm saying. We got our whole <laughs> – it's a whole thing. Careful what you wish. Yeah, I'm here, I'm here for the uh, – like when you read those books about Ultramont that goes 100 yeah. miles and you see them finish, I'm hoping – I'm looking for that experience for myself. Man, that's a good. That's good stuff. <laughs> you know the ice Have thing. Those that. guys jump in like they carry these. They look like coffins full of ice water when they run that far. I'm seeing myself plunging a bit. I'm really seeing the accessories of distance running without that kind of damage, right? Like, let's just. You're in it to win it. This is it's <laughs> no, a no. I'm not goal. in it to win it. It's a well, I'm in it to come in dead last, <laughs> late at night, by myself with my own sort of inflated personal glory, and sort of twisted perspective of how awesome I am. Because I'm raising money. Johnny Cole, Leonard Skinner, thank you for dropping by today. Yeah, man. Central Square Records, thanks for supporting these guys. This is our 
hometown is uh, you don't want to start shopping for music and pick up little download cards. You got to have the vinyl in there. You got to have the CD still available. We appreciate you guys, Ed. Oh, uh, hold on. There's listen. Up. I can tell you this as that's a great point you're making. It, to to properly shop for music doesn't mean you can't shop online for music, mm-hmm. but shopping online is uh, a sidecar to the process of shopping for music. It's important that you get into your record store. It's important that you get into Central Square because of a number of things. Yeah, there's vinyl in the bins, and you can hold it, and you can see the picture. But what you need to be doing is talking to your music community about who's making music, what's the good music. They, they're tastemakers. They help you with your style. They help you find things you don't know. But also, they know what the artists are doing. They know the artists that are legitimate, that are authentic, that are working hard out there, that mean what they're saying. They're, you know, there's a lot of crap, like any product, being put out. You come to the record store to cut through all that. Mm-hmm. And once they get you going, then you can absolutely jump online and add pieces to what's going on. You know, that's how it works now. It's a combination of, of what they call, what do they call it, brick and mortar or whatever. You know what I mean? Like a real store, yeah. like reality. Yep. And then your, your online life. You, know, you put them together. And this is a, a, a perfect blend. It is, and uh, I, I, Ed'll tell you I come. They in don't here, pay me for this. And I know. Maybe and, they should. Uh, I, he consults me once a month on cool stuff that's coming out, and he shows it to me, and I listen to it, and most of it ends up on the station, and uh, I probably wouldn't find out about half the hey, stuff because with with Ed, he he's here all the time. The truth he is, it. he knows the stuff. They save me a lot of money out of my wallet because they they help my son Apollo find the records that he likes. So in my day. In my day. That's how old I am. I just said the words my day. Well, you know, you'd work your job to get your money, and if you didn't have older friends and you could hear their records, you would go to the record store, and sometimes you had to take a chance. Or All you got time. kind of mesmerized by a cover, and you get home, and it's not a great record, and you work two weeks to buy it, and you're at least two weeks away from fresh music. Right. One of the things that happens in here is no matter what things cost individually, what they cost online, whatever, Apollo gets what he needs to be able to get in and get what works for him. So in the end, I feel like not only is he being educated in music, but it's saving me money, too, in the Absolutely. long run. Absolutely. There was no worse feeling than uh, you, you put all your 20 bucks down for a, you know, a I, vinyl or CD back in the day. I wonder and if they let me good. buy in. I'm, I'm, you should. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm killing it. I'm good at this. I could, you're, you're really good. <laughs> You want to cut a commercial for Central Square <laughs> totally, for me? I'm ready. Go ahead. Hi, everybody. Come on down to Central Square Records here at 30A. You really like this place, though, Central Square Records. You're allowed to say that. Well, let me put it this way. <laughs> let me put it this way. When, you're, when your son loves music, yeah. but like I said, like an audiophile in a way that I'm not, he know, and he's about to get a job in Atlanta for the summer at Wook Street Records. They give him a job. He got it on his own. Now he's going to clean He's the clean kid. He's going to clean the whole place and help organize the records, and they're going to pay him in records, which is all he cares about. And you tell him you're moving him out of Atlanta? If Central Square Records wasn't here, not only would he have not come, but I would have been concerned about where he was going to get his youth culture. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally without this, sense. without Central Square, you're missing a critical part of what every youth and young person needs in this area. Got to have a record store. They go yeah, real, you need a real record store. You need not, a real record store. Not, I like, I'm not making a disparaging comment about Walmart. I'm just saying that doesn't need to be your only place to buy records. You're, 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 you're missing something if that's the case. Nothing wrong with Walmart. No, love They Walmart. sell Skinnered records. You need this kind of record store to help you really understand and learn music. Absolutely. And um, did we plug the Winter Solstice enough? You know Casey. She's going to be... 
tell Casey hi. Just tell her how great she is. She's cool. I've already didn't I just say she's the whole reason I get out of bed yeah. in the morning. I think I think we covered it. The sun doesn't the sun rise and set here. Pretty Based much, Casey, right here in the. You know what? Here's right the thing. Here. We said this at the beginning. Not only is Casey awesome, but this whole process with the Winter Solstice race has brought something interesting. Like I said, I've spoken to Casey so much online, and I've never met her in person. It's weird. Now I'm now I'm concerned to meet her. All right, so there it is. You know what I'm saying, like, Casey? You, know, you, you, there's a difference here. If you go too far online with someone, when you meet them in person, it's weird. She's not tall. Let me not tell you that. Well, I, I figured out who she was who ran past me. Yeah. Like, I, you know, did, I, did you hear my story? She ran past me. She didn't even say hi. And yet here I am working hard. I could be surfing. Well, that's not surfing. I could be paddleboarding out there. You could be paddleboarding. Instead, I'm here trying to help Casey Tyndale. All right. I don't even get so much as a high on her last mile of her marathon. I'm pretty sure she'll find you within the yeah. next couple of weeks. <laughs> Johnny Colt with Leonard Skinner, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate your time, and uh, I uh, look forward to uh, – you know what? You. How about that? I, hey, I appreciate anyone <laughs> who will let me spend this much time making an ass out of myself. Thank you. Appreciate you putting up with me, Johnny. Thank you so much. By the way, can we use that language on here? Uh, sure. You didn't say anything. Um, yeah. There was okay. no F-bombs. No, there could be. Do you just want to drop a nice one and I'll, <laughs> no. I'll beep it out? No, you know what? I'm too talented to work blue. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't have to work blue. I got real talent. This is real talent you're listening to. It is real talent, man. I really All right. Super appreciate it, man. I'm out of here. Thank you. Thanks, Johnny. Bye.